There was a story out of New York recently. A woman, 82-year-old woman, was pronounced dead at a New York nursing home. They brought her to the funeral home, and then the funeral home found that she actually was breathing. She was alive. So they uh, promptly took her out of the funeral home, because she wasn't dead, and they brought her to a hospital. These kind of stories come up every now and then, every few years. There's some, the, you hear some story about this. One would think, one would certainly think, that the attitude of the Torah is that it's a paramount concern not to bury people to begin their funeral arrangements until they're actually dead, and that making sure we don't bury people who are still alive is the, is the overriding concern that outweighs all other concerns, one would think that, but one would be wrong. As it turns out, there's actually one of the, the oddest and most interesting debates in Jewish history, span from the middle of the 18th to the middle of the 19th century, actually dealt with this question. How important is it to be absolutely sure that somebody is dead before burying them? And the consensus of the Gedolei Torah of the time actually was Yes, obviously we don't want to bury people who are still alive, but the consensus actually was that if we're fairly sure he's dead, even though we can't rule out the possibility, the remote possibility, he might actually still be alive, then the halachic imperative of, of performing the burial immediately, as soon as possible, actually outweighs the remote possibility, the concern for the remote possibility that the person we're burying might actually still be alive. Sounds very strange, but that actually, as I said, was the consensus of the Gedalia Postkim of the time. And tonight we're going to review some of the literature, some of the context around this uh, remarkable discussion and debate that, as I said, occurred, uh, that, that uh, transpired over the, over the span of about a century from the mid-18th to the mid-19th century. The story began with, uh, with the Duke of Mecklenburg. The Duke of Mecklenburg, he was a duke in, in Germany in 1772. He was very concerned. Europeans at that time were apparently very concerned in general about burying people prematurely. Edgar Allan Poe has a story about it. Apparently it was a uh, major nightmare that Europeans had at that time. So he decreed that nobody should be buried until three days had passed. And we're absolutely sure that he's dead to make sure that he actually is dead. This is against the Torah. The Torah says that we're supposed to bury people right away. It's actually interesting that the Torah, for all that we make such a big deal today about the traditional Jewish burial and the halachas of burial, there's actually relatively little in Torah Shabbat even in early Torah Shabbat Peh, there actually isn't all that much about, uh, about laws and minhagim of burial. The halachas of burial are actually learned, the idea that it's a mitzvah saseh, midaraisa, losaseh, to bury people, actually are based on psukim that occur in the context of someone who is executed by Bastin, a criminal who is executed by Bastin. <coughs> the Torah says that when you hang somebody, that, uh, that you execute somebody and you hang him, don't leave his corpse hanging on the, uh, overnight. Uh, cover tikbarenu, that you should bury him that day. You hang him and then you cut him down and you bury him. And Kikavartik Berenu, so if a person is malonest meso, we derive a general halacha that if someone allows a mace to be, to remain unburied overnight, 
he violates a losase. The another version says that's the source for the mitzvah's kvura menatarik. He covered tikkurenu. That's the source for the mitzvah of kvura. Okay. So the halachas of kvura, the idea that it's a mitzvah to bury, the idea that it's a prohibition to let somebody remain overnight without being buried, that is based on psukim that occur in the Torah's discussion of how we, of of, of what we do with uh, with the remains of a criminals executed by basedim. Now the irony of all this is, of course that we typically do not bury people the same day that they die. We typically bury people the next day, a couple days later. We have the Hebrew Kadisha, they call the funeral, relatives come. And that's all based on the idea that the, the one great exception, the one, the, the, the one set of circumstances that allows leaving him unburied for a day or two is if we can increase the cover of the mace. If we're going to have a larger, a, larger, a larger group gathered at the funeral, if we have relatives... If we can increase the covered mace by, by postponing the funeral, that 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 is reason that 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 gives us the right to uh, to delay the funeral, and that's of course what we do. And when the funeral is delayed, that my, my to the extent that I understand the issue, when the funeral is delayed, it is typically because because of this, because we believe somehow that that the funeral will be will be preferable, will be better if we. Uh, if we delay it, the Mishnah says that if we if we do it in order to provide the, the coffin, the aron, or the tachrichim, then there's no iser. If we do it for the if we do it to tell people about the mace, so the relatives can come from far away. So the okay, so there's so this, this, this an issue. There's an issue of covered, covered for the mace, covered for the surviving people of the family, but that that is a heter. So it, this is not an absolute rule that must be followed to always bury someone the same day. But it is a default rule that, barring other considerations that justify postponing the burial, a mace is supposed to be buried, and a mace is supposed to be buried the same day. So, in 1772, when the Duke of Mecklenburg said that we are not going to bury anyone for three days, the Jewish community was very concerned because they were being ordered to violate halacha. Moses Mendelssohn, who was the key player in this whole discussion, Moses Mendelssohn attempted to reconcile the, the, the religious needs of the Jewish community with the public health needs, public uh, survival needs of the, that the Duke was worried about. So Mendelssohn, apparently, this, this, has been, this has been documented and studied and papers and written about this, but Mendelssohn apparently tried to work, on, on, uh, tried to work this issue from both ends. He communicated to the Duke, he was apparently a respected and influential figure at the time, he communicated with the Duke and tried to, and, and successfully persuaded him to, uh, to adopt a more tolerant view toward the, the religious needs of the Jewish community. He said that they, if they get a reliable certification to the death from a doctor, maybe that'll be good enough. We don't have to wait three days to, to verify that he's dead. But at the same time, at the same time that, 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 he, that he advocated for the religious needs of the Jewish community to the Duke, he also internally discussed the matter with the Jewish community and argued that it isn't really such a bad idea to actually delay the kura. Maybe he's not dead. It's a, why, this, is, this is really not such a bad idea to actually do what the Duke says and make sure people are actually dead before we bury them. As I said, sounds like a no-brainer. But uh, Mendelssohn attempted to, to argue that, 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 that Jewish law does not require immediate burial, if we're concerned for the possibility of burying a dead person, burying a live person, that would be ground to delay the burial. Nevertheless, the Rabbanim did not agree. 
The Rabbanim said that, the, that nope, that the mitzvah of Kura applies here. We need to bury people right away, even though there's a concern, even though the Duke and general society is concerned that we're burying people while they're alive, we should, we should, still, we should still bury people right away. Mendelssohn apparently was most sharply, most sharply uh, challenged by Rav Yaakov Emden. Rav Yaakov Emden, the great Chacham uh, of that time, they had also approached Rav Yaakov Emden for help in uh, resolving this matter. So Rav Emden and, uh, and Mendelssohn had a major disagreement about, about whether, they, whether they could, uh, whether the, what, what, what our position should be according to the Torah, whether we should, whether we should follow the traditional halacha and bury people immediately, or whether or whether we should uh, bow to the concerns of the public health establishment and make sure people are actually dead before we bury them. Apparently, Rav Emden and Mendelssohn had been friendly at the time. There's all kinds of literature about what the attitudes toward Mendelssohn of his contemporaries were. But Rav Yaakov Emden apparently was on good terms with Mendelssohn. They corresponded. They they discussed the matter. And Rabbi Yaakov Emden strongly, strongly argued that the halacha must be followed and the, we should bury people immediately and we're not going to worry about the, about the possibility that maybe he's alive. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, I, have, I haven't had a chance to, to track down his letter. I don't think it's published in his actual chuvas, but I haven't had a chance to go through his letter yet. But he apparently said the, you know, the danger to life is minuscule. The Hebra Kadisha will, will discover most of these cases. Halacha need not, as, as Rabbi Gil student summarizes, quoting uh, Professor Lawrence Kaplan, halacha need not concern itself with the extremely remote possibility, nearly impossible, that a live person would be mistakenly prepared and buried. It's very, very unlikely. Almost all the people we bury are going to be dead before we bury them. Obviously, I'm, I'm kind of highlighting the, the provocative nature of these positions. They weren't denying that it is possible. They were not denying that it is remotely possible in these sensational stories that somebody actually alive, somebody living, will be buried. Nevertheless, the postkim were taking the position that it's a tiny, tiny chance, and we shouldn't be mavatel, the mitzvah of Kuro, of Kovartik Berenu, the same day, because of this extremely remote possibility that we're burying someone who is still alive. Now, this is something that we've discussed many, many times in other contexts, that we don't literally hope to, we don't literally try, we don't literally try to eliminate every single risk. Everything we do entails risk to, to say that, that it's true, Halacha says we're choshish even for a remote chance of psychana. It's true, that doesn't mean zero. We drive cars, we take airplanes, we do all kinds of things that entail some small level of risk. At some point, it's a balance between living a normal life, between doing the other things you want to do in life, and even if they sometimes involve assuming a tiny, tiny level of risk, we do it. We say at some point the risk is so low and the benefit is, is great enough and the, that we'd be giving up too much to, to, to worry about this tiny risk. We have COVID, so we, we can wear masks, we can vaccinate. At the end of the day, if we all stay home and, and, and never leave the house, we'll be uh, at least marginally safer with, with all the masking and vaccines. We can stay home and not do anything. We can order all our groceries inside. We can never step foot outside our house except when it's medically necessary. Most of us don't do that. We know that the risk is non-zero, but we decide that after all the precautions we take with, with vaccines, with masking, if we want, or whatever it is, given that the rates are currently what they are, it's, it's, not, you know, it's, it's not zero, but it's low enough that we, that we don't worry about every, every tiny, arbitrarily small risk. And that's essentially the position that the post were taking here. They felt that 
we're not going to deny, they, they weren't necessarily going to deny that there is some tiny, tiny chance of burying somebody alive. And when you talk about burying somebody alive, it sounds so horrific that it's hard to reason rationally about it. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a tiny, tiny chance. It's uh, the few cases that happened historically you know, are so sensational that they make the news. And again, some of these cases were due, probably due just because the person was in such a catatonic, unresponsive state that it was impossible to, to know that he was alive. In other cases, like this, this, recent, uh, this recent case, this hospital case, it's more, more likely that there was some uh, carelessness or recklessness on the part of the, of the me- medical personnel involved, but at least that, that, that's my guess, without having, without having looked into the story carefully. <coughs> but in any event, halacha doesn't require zero risk. Halacha, requires, uh, halacha simply says that we should be responsible about the risk. We should, we should, but at some point, you don't have to be choshesh for every single risk. So this was apparently the debate that took place in the 18th century. And then this, this debate, this debate uh, came up again, and this is the tshuva we're going to focus on tonight, this debate came up again in the 19th century in a very, very famous tshuva of the Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer's tshuva is famous not, not, not entirely because of his discussion of this uh, fascinating and sensational topic of burying people alive. It's famous because the Chassam Sofer is one of the most important tshuvas ever written on the topic of establishing death, what is considered death, respiratory cessation, cardiac function cessation. This is the shuva that's often discussed in the context of brain death. We're, we're not actually going to focus on those aspects of the shuva and how Allah actually defines death for the purpose of for tonight. We're just going to focus on what he says about this story and about this issue, about how careful do we have to be not to bury people who are still alive. So again, this, this, this was written... Uh, this was written decades after the, the original controversy in, in Germany in the 18th century. This, this was written in the context of a different question that had arisen. The Chazam Sofer writes, the Shiloh is as follows. There was a certain city in which the physician, the local physician, Ir Echad, Ir Achaz, Sharofei Kohen. The physician was a Kohen. Umnimusei HaMedina, the laws of this country were, She'ein HaMesim Nekvarem Ad Achar Shabbatku Arofei Umei uh, that someone had to sign a death certificate. He had to be pronounced dead by, by, by a, professional, uh, a professional man. And so this physician's duty, he had to sign death certificates. And otherwise, otherwise they, they, they wouldn't be able to legally bury the person. And the Shaila was, Can the Kohen do these post-mortem examinations to pronounce people dead? A Kohen, of course, is not allowed to become Tamei Mace. Is there, is there any justification for this Jewish Kohen to do these examinations in order to be able to pronounce people dead? So the Chassam Sofer's correspondent, another of, wanted to allow this. Ubani Yisodo al Beisdvar. And his, he had two arguments for leniency. The first one was, Im hadar shelofanenu hetiru halanas meisim shubasei velosasei vetiru mishim safek nefashos. The previous generation, the generation of Mendelssohn and so on, the previous generation, this Rav claimed, had allowed postponing Kfura, Halanas Mesim, keeping Mesim unburied overnight, which violates an assay of Kovartik Berenu and Lotolin of Lasso Allah Eitz, and not leaving the Mesim on the Eitz overnight. He allowed the violation of two mitzvahs Minatara. Why do they allow it? He claims they allowed it. We'll discuss this claim in a moment, but he claims that the post of the previous, of the, previous or the earlier generation had allowed this Mishim Suffolk Nefashis. 
because of the chance that somebody was really still alive, then we, 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 we set aside the mitzvahs of Kvura. We can allow the Kohen to inspect the mace as well to make sure he's dead before we bury him. Because uh, we're not, we're not, the, the choice apparently wasn't not to bury him. The choice was either to bury him with a physician signing off on his death or without a physician signing off on his death against the law. So this Rav had argued that if we bury without the physician verifying death, we're taking a risk of burying people alive again. So it's important, it's a matter of pikuach nefesh, to have the Kohen pronounce him dead. Just like the previous generation allowed us allowed the, the delay of burial, which violates a mitzvah in the Torah, two mitzvahs in the Torah, to make sure he's dead, so too we can allow a Kohen to be metame lemes in order to make sure he's actually dead and we're not burying someone who's still alive. Second hatter was Nitla B'Shuvah's Beis Yaakov, Shepilpulim, L'Hatra L'Kohen, L'Karnes L'Choligosis, another issue involving Tumas Kohanim, which we're not going to get into tonight. We're not going to discuss this, this part of the Tshuva. The Chumsever's Tshuva is broken up into two parts. A bunch of the Tshuva is devoted to the first discussion about whether the, the risk of burying people alive allows us to be over Isurim, and the second half of the Tshuva deals with Hilchas Tumah and Kohanim. We're going to focus on the first part of the Tshuva. Says the Chatham Sofer, Hinei, Bekari Dvaramelu, Yotzimi Pei Gavra Dekavaseh, when I read such things emerge from the mouth of a distinguished scholar like you, he says, like my correspondent, Amadati Marid Vinival Maod. I was shocked, I was stunned, he says. You're claiming that Rabbanim of the previous generation allowed us to postpone burial to make sure people are dead, to, to ensure that they're really dead? Mihuzev, Ezehu. Who who allowed such a thing? What Rav ever said such a thing? Shahitir Bidarshal Fnenu, a Rav of the previous generation allowed postponing burial to make sure people are dead? I have not heard of such a thing. He says, I have never heard of any heter from Poskim to allow such a thing. He, when he says, what he means is, he's going to say later in the tshuva, that, that there is one heter for postponing burial in this context, and that is if the government demands it. <clears throat> if the government demands it, he says, we are permitted to comply with government regulations, Again, it's always hard to know whether he really meant this or he had to write this for, uh, for, uh, for, for political reasons, but that is what he writes. So we're going to see he's going to write later that if the government demands it, even though it's against the Torah, we can comply. Again, it's hard to know, it's hard to know what that means. If the government tells us to Michal Shabbos, we can't be Michal Shabbos. If the government tells us to uh, eat non-kosher food, we can't eat non-kosher food. But here, the Chatham is going to claim, we'll get to it later, that if the government demands it, we can comply. But Alpidin Torah, he says, absent a, a government mandate, he says, Alpidin Torah, I never heard of such a thing. I never heard of any, uh, any of the Chachmeat Torah, he says, who would allow postponing burial to make sure the person's actually dead. Now, so what was the claim of the correspondent? Which Rav said such a thing? Hine, he says, you, my correspondent, Peru Malaso, Nitla, Bilan Gadol, Bachuvas, Yaivitz. You're quoting Rav Yaakov Emden. He says, and, and you quoted from his from his chuvas, his published chuvas. Says the Chasim Sofer, you are confused. Your your recollection is uh, betraying you. He says, he says kilo He says no such thing. Rebekah Emdin was not martyred, as we said before. He was the one who fought Mendelssohn. He was the one who said that the that there's no head that we should not be delaying burial. No such thing. Rebekah Emdin was not making. Ah, he says, besifrei hamaasfim. In the Sifri HaMa'asfim, in, in journals, he says, it was safer Bikuri Itim. These were Haskalah periodicals, periodicals of the early Haskalah. 
Nimtza, he says, Igros, Mishnas, Tafkuf, Lamed Beis. There are letters from 1772, the year, the Hebrew year, Tafkuf, Lamed Beis, that is the year 1772. Shachacham Ramad. That the, the Chacham Ramad. Who is Ramad? Ramad, of course, is Ramosha Dessauer. Ramosha Dessauer is how he sometimes, ref- is how Moses Mendelssohn was sometimes referred to in rabbinic circles. Ramosha Dessauer, the Chacham Ramad, was, he was the one who was Mekel. Tan, Lahatari, Surin, Shalchachme, Yisrael. The Chamsarfer is not too pleased with him. He says he was being Matir, the prohibition that was established and endorsed by Chachme Yisrael. And Ba'amro, uh, because he said, the contemporary physicians of the late 18th century said that we have no uh, certainty, no confidence that we can establish uh, definitively when somebody's actually dead. We, 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 we have the humility to admit that we can't be absolutely sure when someone's on the border between life and death, we're not absolutely sure which side of the line he is. The only thing that, that's reliable is when is when decomposition sets in, when we can see the, the flesh begin to decompose, then we know he's actually dead. And uh, he brought Rayas from the Mishnah in Zav, in Zav, in Zav it says they're metamim that, that we assume they're alive and they have Dine Tuma until this stage of Ikola Basar, that the flesh begins to, to decompose. Chem Rambam. Another thing, Reish Perek Machas. This is a famous one. This is a brysa in, in one of the, what are called the Masechus Kitanas, smaller tractates, and not really in the Mishnah. They're brysas. Masechus Machos is a euphemism. It's all about Avelos, the opposite of Simcha. It's all about the laws of death and Avelos. In so Masechus Machos, there's a celebrated brysa, much discussed in this context. It says, Mavakrim alamesim ad gimel yamim. Some have the gears of 30 days, others have three days. That they, they, they would visit, they would ins- they, 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 they would visit and check out the the, the graves, the graves on, uh, for for the first few days after death. They found someone who had been buried alive. They they pulled him out and he lived for, he survived for twenty five years further. The whole had him, and then he had children also. He had a long productive life ahead of him. So says Mendelssohn. That the, we see that uh, even in Chazal's time, they were concerned with the possibility of premature burial. Imkain kalvachomer. That uh, we can make a kalvachomer if the Gemara says mamish mukvodu shel meis malinin lovely arim If we see that even for the even for the just for his covered, so you can have a nicer funeral, a more respectable funeral, we we, we postpone the burial. <coughs> Certainly, if we want to make sure he's actually dead. If you can postpone his funeral to make to, so, so it should be uh, respectable, you should certainly postpone his funeral to make sure he's not alive and you're not burying him alive. Sounds very logical. Um, so the so so this is Mendelssohn's argument, Vikasav, that the that uh, and they and they argued that back then back then they actually buried him, but they buried him and they checked to make sure he was still alive. But that was an option back then. But that was because they used to bury in caves. They didn't bury in dirt. They buried him on uh, niches and shelves carved out in rock. We find this at length in Babasra and other places. The, the Talmudic customs of burial were very different from ours. As I said before, we, this is one of my favorite things. We, 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 we treat our halachas of burial as if they were always done this way from time immemorial. It's all tradition. It's not actually all tradition. They, they bury people very differently in Talmudic times. Many of our customs are of uncertain origin. And uh, burial did not, was not entirely the same as, uh, as it is today. 
So the, they used to bury in caves, not dirt. Uh, well, we'll, 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 we'll discuss later whether there was dirt involved or not, but, but the, the Shoel apparently, the, these Rabbanim assumed there was no dirt, that they buried them in a, in a livable space, in Kuchin, in these little caves and niches. And then they could just check. They, they could visit the grave and see, uh, are you okay in there? Are you alive? Are you dead? They could check and get him out if he needed to be gotten out. Avol bismanenu shkavrim ba'aretz mamish. Today we bury people in the dirt, in the earth. He's not going to survive if, we, uh, if, if, he's, if he's still alive now. He won't be if we bury him in the dirt. Therefore, we have no choice, given that we're going to bury in actual dirt, we have no choice but to postpone the burial. Elud And this chilok, bein kvarim lekuchin, this chilok, that the way we bury today, the way we, the way we bury in the time of the, of the Talmud, this is already mentioned in the early poskim as, uh, as an evolution in the Menhagim of Burial, mentioned by the early, the early Akronim, that we do things differently than, they, than we do things in the time of Chazal. So this, this was the opinion of Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn argued that the, that the paramount concern is, is, not, is not burying people who are actually still alive, and therefore we, we have to take into account the possibility he's still alive, we don't have any confidence that we, can, that we can know when people are actually dead. And therefore, in the time of Chazal, there was no real harm. We'll bury him, and if he's still alive, we'll just take him out later. It was, burial was more reversible back then. Today, burial is not going to be able to be undone. If he's alive now, he won't be after we bury him. Therefore, it's paramount to make sure that he's actually dead before we bury him. And therefore, Mendelssohn argued that we were justified in pushing off the burial. We should note this is not, not our topic for tonight, but we should note there are practically entire books that have been written on trying, as I mentioned earlier, trying to, trying to explicate what exactly was the relationship of the Gedoli Torah of the 18th and 19th century toward Mendelssohn. Many people today think that Mendelssohn was the founder of the Reform, was a kind of a uh, villainous figure who was an enemy of the people, and so on. And it's not actually that simple. The Chassam Sofer did famously write in his ethical will that he instructed his family not to read the books of Mendelssohn. He wrote Besifrei Ramad Al Tishlechu Yad. But again, he didn't call him. Uh, he didn't call him that scoundrel, that Russia. He said the Svarim of Ramad of Reb Moshe Mendelssohn, Rabbi Moses Mendelssohn, did, don't read his books. He, he felt they were uh, not wholesome or problematic. But Chassam Sofer refers to him respectfully. Doesn't curse him. Doesn't. Uh, doesn't. Uh, you know, refer, refers to him quite, uh, you know, quite neutrally as Ramad, and you know, there, there were many Chachamim who took him seriously, who, who did feel that that that, that he was a uh, serious individual. He himself was not actually a founder of reform in any practical sense. He didn't advocate for jettisoning the Torah or observance. He had a, he had ideas. I mean, he, he did have. A, my understanding is he had a kind of pro-assimilationist mindset that he thought we should try to be more German and more European, at least outwardly, that we should mingle and assimilate uh, better into outward society. But he wasn't actually advocating for the jettisoning of, of halacha, of the, of the Torah. So, they, again, I'm not an expert in Mendelssohn studies. As I think you can read entire articles and books on exactly, exactly uh, what Mendelssohn's contemporaries and near contemporaries thought about him. But in this case, he made a, he made a fairly, uh, fairly plausible argument Within the, within, well within the realm of uh, normal halachic discourse. And the Chesam strongly disagrees, but he, but, but, but he never really says that he's somehow an apicarist or anything. He just is not going to agree, as we'll see. So he, the Chesam continues. He says, Achagon, Moreno Harav Yaivet, Zatzar Yaakov Emden. 
who was a, again a contemporary of Mendelssohn. Rabbinic idiom it means uh, it means um, sharply criticized him, refuted his positions. Flonasal upon him did not give him any quarter, did not accept his position. Gam other letters he says from other chacham of the time. Uh, who the Chassam Sofer strongly agrees with those who uh, disagreed with Mendelssohn, says the Chassam Sofer, I don't know who you're relying on. You said, you said Rabbanim of the previous Dar were, uh, were Mekel. The only one I know who was Mekel was Mendelssohn, he says, who was not among the Gedolei Aposkim of the time. And the, the, the Rabbanim who did write, uh, who did discuss the matter, were opposed to him, he says. So, there, so there, I don't know who, which Rabbanim you had in mind, Rabbanim of the previous generation, who were lenient on postponing burial. Again, I, I use the word lenient. There's a very famous line, usually attributed to Rav Chaim Salavechik, sometimes to other rabbinic figures, that they used to, that, that, who were apparently very, uh, took Pekuach Nefesh very seriously, even, and they, they would be very quick to violate Shabbos and so on. When people challenged them and they said, why are you so lenient in Shabbos? They said, I'm not lenient in Shabbos, I'm machmer in Pekuach Nefesh. So Mendelssohn also, I guess, would have argued, I'm not being lenient in Kvura, I'm being machmer on Pikuach Nefesh. But nevertheless, the chasem, as we said before, even Pikuach Nefesh has limits, and the Chasim Sofer felt, the Rav Yaakov Emdin, the Chasim Sofer, and the consensus of the Gidolei Aposkim was that this is well beyond, this is distinctly beyond the limits of Pikuach Nefesh, this is such a remote concern that we don't have to worry about it, and therefore he says, I don't know who you're, who you're referring to when you say that Rabbanim of the previous generation were allowed this, he says, the only one was Mendelssohn, and he was, his position was uh, vigorously rejected by the, uh, the Gidolim of his time. Uchumadumali, Chasim Sofer says, I think what happened was, since it became the custom to delay burials because of the demands of the government, because of the Kesar and, uh, and his ministers and his government, Nishka Chadavar, People completely forgot the, the idea that in, that in a vacuum, Dintari is to bury immediately. People, people thought that was actually the halacha. But they're wrong. It was, it, it, was, it was a concession we made to government, he says, which apparently he considers legitimate, as he's going to say later explicitly. But the, I believe, but that it's wrong, he says, there is no such hatter. Now he, he enters into his own analysis. So, so, so what, what, what is actually the calculus here, he says? But next thing I know, let, let, let's try to analyze this question on our own. We have Mendelssohn, we have Rebekah Emden, we have other Rabbanim. Let's try to analyze this question on our own. Next day on that. Hine beli suffolk. Without a doubt, he says, Kishamurat Torah, Kiyah Be'ish, Chet Mishpan Mavas Vuhumas, L'Solen, Kovertik Burenu. When the Torah told us that we must bury people, we must not let people remain buried overnight. Ha'over al-zeh b'shum meis, over al-zeh v'losaseh. Anyone who, anyone who uh, violates this mitzvah, who doesn't do this is violating a mitzvah zaseh and a mitzvah losaseh. So, what does Hashem want us to do? If we don't, if we don't know when people are actually dead, how are we supposed to follow this halacha? He says, "Al karchach." If the Torah tells us we're supposed to do this, al karchach. The Torah is telling us that we, we do know how to decide when people are dead. Nimser lanu share misa. What is the share misa? How do we know? He says, "Ulai haisas misaris imbalativi marishonim." Maybe we had a misara from early scientists even though current scientists can concede, they're humble and they concede that they don't have any clarity on this, the early scientists sometimes knew things that later scientists don't know. So maybe we had a Masora from early scientists who were actually better at definitively establishing the time of death. 
We find Chazal relied on the early scientists in many areas. Um, he gives examples where Chazal relied on certain scientists of the early scientists. Or he says, Oh, if we don't say that in Masara from the early scientists, then Moshe Rabbeinu must have had a part of Tarash Hashem must have given him the share of, of when people are dead. Or, third possibility, either the scientist or the Torah, or the third possibility is they derived from a Pasuk, he says. That since the Torah says anything that has the breath of life in its nostrils, the Torah describes life, the Torah describes breath as the sin qua non of life, and if there's no, if there's no breath, there's no, uh, if there's no breath, there's no life. Okay, so one of the three. Either he says, again, the, the, the chuvas about brain death have a lot to say about all these possibilities. We're not going to get into the details of this, but the one of three possibilities, either Chazal knew it from the science of their time, which they considered reliable, or it was a Masorah, it was part of Torah, or they derived it from a drasha, from a pasuk. Yeah, he says that, the, that, that this is the... Now, Akarchach, we, we do have confidence, we do have confidence to know that, that, to know when somebody is actually dead. Now, he has a lot of other interesting things in this part of the Chuba as well, but we're not going to get into the details. We'll skip a couple of paragraphs here, and we will uh, jump to the paragraph, Aval kol shemutal domin If someone is motionless, and his, his systems, we, we don't feel any pulse, we don't feel any breath, so first of all, he has no defika. His, his blood is not uh, pumping. We, we, feel, we feel no pulse. And also, there's no breath. His heart is not beating. As far as we can tell, his, his, his breath is not, he's not breathing. At that point, he says, At this point, the halacha allows us to pronounce him dead. The opinion of the, of the Holy Torah, we can call him confidently dead. And you should not let him stay overnight without burial. <coughs> and if a coin would be would be metamic to him, we would <coughs> we would give him alchus for violating the prohibition against Tumas Kohanim. Then he discusses the Bryce and Masechus Machus. He says that you see they used to bury them, but they used to check to make sure they were still alive. And uh, and the Chassam Sofer says, uh, as he understands, they used to use earth then also, even though they buried in caves and niches and in different kinds of grottoes and things like that, they used earth as well. They didn't just put them on a shelf in the cave, they actually put earth there as well. So again, what does it mean they went back and checked him after a few days? I mean, even if he was alive, he's going to be dead once they buried him, in a, once they stuffed him up full of earth. So what's the point of checking? He says, he'll die, he'll die in the grave. There's no, there's no physicians there who are going to be checking him constantly. If you can go back and check in a day or two, he'll certainly be dead by then. If you want to do anything to, to make sure he's, he, you're not burying a live person, you should put, you should put people there constantly that the, who are can, going to constantly watch the grave. If they see any motion in the earth, they'll immediately uh, get him out. But just put him in the grave and check him once a day, that, that, that's pointless, he says. That's Tarachim God. That's not, that's not going to get you anywhere. If, if, if that... Uh, that's not going to accomplish anything. I think I once read they, they used to actually, some people used to put bells with strings into their graves so they could ring a bell if they were uh, buried alive. But having somebody check once a day, 
is is, is, is pointless. If, if if he wasn't if he wasn't if he wasn't dead when you buried him, he's certainly going to be dead when you come back a day later to check on him. Says the Chasim Sofer, and this is the key line. This is to me the key line of the tshuva. Avol ha'emes yara darko. The truth is the truth. Uh, the truth is he says kizel mikre ba'alma. The fact the possibility of someone surviving. Of, of someone being misdiagnosed as dead when he's really alive, is that is mimikriyim harachokim echad le'elaf shanim. That's a wildly remote possibility once in a thousand years. Shiyakum achrei naflo. Again, we, we've, we've had well more than one in a thousand of the cases. We've had a couple in the last few years alone. We've had several cases, and uh, there were cases in the 19th century. Some of the cases were hoaxes, apparently, or mistakes, but there were real cases like this. So, okay, one in a thousand years, he calls it. Shiyakum achrei naflo, bitol nishimaso, Somebody should actually survive and come back to life after falling motionless and not breathing. And he's been checked by Bikim and he's been verified as dead by Bikim. Chazal talk about different levels of remoteness. They talk about rov and miut. A majority says one way, a minority possibility is otherwise. They talk about miuta de miuta, which is an even more remote possibility. This is not even that, he says. This is not even miuta de miuta. He gives, this is like Choni HaMa'agel, Sheyashin Shivim Shana. He slept for 70 years and woke into, uh, and awoke into a whole new world that, 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 of, 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 that, that, that was completely different from the one that he left. That happened, it happened once, but he apparently interprets the story literally, but that's not something that we take into account. That's such a wildly remote possibility, we don't, uh, we, we, we don't, um, we, we don't worry about such things. Nichnas, Nefesh, as I said before, even Bikyoch Nefesh has limits. To be choshesh for such wildly remote possibilities is not our job. He says, what, what Masechus Machus was saying was that visiting Mesim was really something that the Amorites, the, the pagans, the superstitious people did. That, that check, checking Mesim after he brings the Ramban, and uh, Ramban in one of his drushes talks about this, how it was a superstitious belief involving necromancy. And uh, so really, we shouldn't be visiting Mesim at all. That's the issue in Masechus Machas. But the Jews wanted to do it because they were just so desperate to make sure maybe he's still really alive. So that, that's what Masechus Machas is saying. That it once happened that they actually, found, they actually found somebody who was still alive. And, uh, and, and, and he lived 25 years and he had five children. Therefore, that's enough to say that if someone is just so desperate, is, 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 is willing to chase these remote possibilities, and he wants to visit the grave, it's not Dar But it's not that it's a realistic possibility that, uh, that, that we would actually be choshish for. It doesn't change the halacha, it doesn't affect what we do l'chatchila, of, uh, what we do l'chatchila of burying him. It, it, it's such a remote possibility, it completely doesn't enter into the halacha calculus. The only point that the Masechus Malkus mentions it for is that if somebody wants to do this, it's not Dar HaMori, because there is a rational basis. As remote as it is, it's not superstitious. Maybe he's still alive, so you're, you're grasping at straws. But that's enough to say it's not Darchi Hamari. But, uh, but so, something which is, which, something which is uh, completely, so, something which is completely uh, ridiculous and superstitious would be also because of Darchi Hamari. This is something that uh, there is some possibility of, uh, of, of, of actually helping somebody so we don't have to, so, so, so we, don't have, we don't actually forbid it. Any event, we'll skip another paragraph here. Says the Chasim Sofer, Mikol Makom. His, his, the bottom line of this portion of his discussion is Bahas Salkinan Anu Einlanu Eladivrei Atara Ulekabalas of Asenu. 
these types of uh, newfangled concerns that maybe he's still alive, they, they do not play a role in the halachic process. Someone who uh, challenges this is uh, challenging the very Torah, challenging God himself. The Isser of leaving a mace overnight without burial remains in force, he says. Zulas, finally he concedes, as I said earlier, the one exception is Zulas Yipakidas HaMelech Yoram Hodo, unless the, unless the Melech says that we should, we have to keep him out, that's a reason why we can keep him out. But other than that, because we're actually worried that he's alive, that is against the Torah, that is not something we should do, he says. The other of wanted to say the same way the post can allowed being mal in the mace to make sure he's dead. Who then we can allow the coin to become tummy? Says the chasim sofer chalila v'chalila chas v'shalom. That the chance of his being alive is such a remote possibility. It plays no role in the halacha calculus. It cannot possibly justify the, 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 the flouting any isra in the Torah. Not the isra of halana samais. Not the isra of tumas kohanim. The only thing it can do, he says, is if you want to go check, you're not violating Darchi and Murray. That that's true, he says. But but beyond that, beyond that, it's the it's it, it's to, to be master anything that would otherwise be usher, absolutely not. And therefore, the Chazam Sofer concludes that there is <coughs> no justification for this Kohen to uh, no justification for this Kohen to, to to visit the mace and and become tummy at the. At the, and that's the Chazam Sofer's tshuva. At the very end, he has he he, he discusses the fact that this coin might himself not actually be observant. It's just and he's not the one asking the question. It's just a question whether we can invite him, whether we have a shy love lufneiver. Fine. So yeah, he has he has a, some study hatter based on that. But basically, this is the Chazam Sofer's position that there is no justification for pushing off the few, pushing off the the burial for the chance that he's alive. He doesn't come flat out and say that it's literally impossible. But it's, Masachas uh, Macha says it is possible, and people, it's not Darachim Mori because of that. But it's so remote and it's so wildly implausible that it is certainly not grounds for violating any mitzvahs of the Torah, not the mitzvah to bury people on time, and not the mitzvah of Tomas Kohan. Which again, as Mendelssohn pointed out, one could have argued, even if it's not enough to, to violate any mitzvah, but if this mitzvah of Torah itself is so subjective and allows us to postpone it for covered a mace, most mitzvahs you can't you can't violate most mitzvahs in the Torah for covered ames. You can't just be mechal Shabbos or eat non-kosher food because you want to promote covered ames. Apparently, kfura because the whole kfura is for the covered ames, then that, that's apparently a reason to postpone the kfura if that'll create greater covered ames. One might have argued that making sure he's dead is the greatest covered ames you could possibly have, making sure that you're not burying him alive. The, sim, similar to a svara that I mentioned in uh, recent share, I, I spoke about for Pasha B'Shalach, the idea of hidr mitzvah. Some posts can say that many posts, can, a number of posts can say the greatest hidden mitzvah there is is actually making sure that you're being yoked to the mitzvah correctly. Before any question of aesthetics or making the mitzvah in a more beautiful way, the ultimate hidden mitzvah is making sure you're actually yoked to the mitzvah. One might have argued that the ultimate cover mace is making sure he's actually dead and not still alive. Okay, but the Chamsofer doesn't agree with that argument. The Chamsofer feels that the, given that the chance that he's actually alive is so remote that doesn't enter the picture. And there is no heter to violate any isser, and even cover a mace, which we set aside, which we can postpone. We're flexible; we can, we can, and do postpone the burial all the time to maximize the cover a mace. But to actually make sure that he's dead, which is only such a remote possibility, that is not a justification 
for postponing the burial, and that, I think, in general, was the consensus of the postkin. I would like to look up some more of these sources, but the Chesam Chuva, I think, represents the, the basic consensus. I just want to close with a, with a small excerpt of one other tshuva, a tshuva of the Beis Yitzchak. Beis Yitzchak was Rav Yitzchak Shmelkis. He lived uh, later in the 19th century. He was actually not discussing Kfura at all. His tshuva was about certain questions of Mila, performing a bris Mila. And he makes a similar point to that of the Chasim Sofer. He goes actually even further. The Chasim Sofer is just making the general point that Halacha doesn't take into account these wildly remote possibilities, even though it's Bikoch Nefesh. Rav Shmelkis is going further. Rav Shmelkis is arguing that there are certain mitzvahs, he says, certain particular mitzvahs, where the very definition of the mitzvah, the very nature of the mitzvah, carries with it the implication that we aren't going to be able to avoid pikuach nefesh entirely. Certain mitzvahs carry an inherent, not entirely avoidable risk of mortal risk, and those mitzvahs, obviously, if Hashem commanded us to do them, Al-Karcha Hashem is saying, I want you to do this mitzvah, even though there is a certain small, unavoidable risk of pikuach nefesh. One of those mitzvahs is Mila. We know, of course, we push off Mila if there's any danger. If there's any particular reason to believe that this Mila is more dangerous than usual, we do push off Mila. If the baby is, is born prematurely, if the baby has jaundice, if the baby is sick, and in various ways, we actually are very quick to push off Mila. But the, nevertheless, the, the, a number of Akronim point out that Mila fundamentally is, does have some danger. And Al-Karcha, the Torah, is telling you that we have to do Mila anyway, even though it has some small danger. So the Beis Yitzchak goes one step further. He says that, the, he says that if, the, if the Torah told you to do Mila, even though there is some small danger, that means that the Torah, the Torah is telling you that Mila has a different threshold of Pikuach Nefesh than other mitzvahs in the Torah. And therefore, he says, even if there is a greater danger than usual, that's still not always a reason to push off Mila. If there's a much greater danger, obviously, we said before, if the kid is sick, or, of course we push, we push off the Mila. But for certain relatively low-level danger, even if, it's a little more, even if it's a little more dangerous than the baseline level of Mila, even if it's, the conditions are slightly more dangerous, you see that Mila has a different standard to begin with, and therefore, he says, Mila, Mila in particular, as opposed to all the mitzvahs in the Torah, we are willing to accept a slightly higher risk of pikuach nefesh than we are for other mitzvahs. That's, that's his thesis, and he, and he applies it halachal in the case he's dealing with. He says, since if, you, uh, since if, we, would, if we would apply this, the, the general standard, you'd be mevatal mila entirely, al-karch the Torah is telling you to relax the standard and not be so worried about pikuach nefesh. And then he says, and the same thing applies to the mitzvah of kvura, the lav of lotolin, to not let a mace remain unburied. He says, we know the Torah told us to bury all, all mesim, even though it's al-karchach, it's inevitable, he says, ika mesim shlonodem mesu. There will be people, there will be times we get it wrong. It's very remote, but there will be times. It's not zero. It's, it's, it's not possible to be absolutely sure that all mesim that we bury are actually dead. It, if, we, if, we, if we're going to bury mesim on that day and not push off the kura, we're not going to be able to avoid the, 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 the fatal error, the literally fatal error of occasionally burying somebody alive. He says, first of all, that you know, it's not such a problem because the, the risk is very, very low. Like the Chassam Sofer said, that the, that, that the risk is quite low. It's not even muted to miyuta. But still, he says, good. So it's not muted to miyuta. But Pikuach Nefesh, he says, since when for Pikuach Nefesh do we require such a high standard? Pikuach Nefesh, normally, 
will drive to the hospital on Shabbos, even if the risk is very low, because there's a small chance that someone's in danger. The, the woman in childbirth, we drive her to the hospital. If we have to, we, we, a Jew drives her to the hospital if necessary. The risk is not high, but the, the risk is not zero either. So he says, so l'chara, even if you'll tell me the risk is very, very low, like the Chassam Sofer, but so what? But, but, but because nefesh is so important, so why do we actually do this? What's Taka the Pshat? What's Taka the Pshat? Why, why, do, we, why do we bury people if this, if they, on the same day, if, if there is a small but unavoidable chance of burying people alive? Says the Beis Yitzchak, Al-Karchak Tzarech Lomar, that the answer is, because since otherwise you would never do this mitzvah at all, you would never do the mitzvah meal at all, you would never do the mitzvah of burying people on time, Therefore, it's a, it's Xeris Akasavi says, Gazra Torah, the Torah is telling us to follow the rove and not to be Choshesh for Pikuach Nefesh if that would result in eliminating this whole mitzvah. So the Beis Yitzchak is basically taking the Chassam Sofer one step further. He's saying that, yes, it's very remote. Still, in, in, in other contexts, in, in other mitzvahs, in Shabbos, if, if you happen to find a case where there's very, very remote danger, as long as the danger exists, it's not zero, then Yimachal Shabbos, then Pikuach Nefesh overrides everything, almost everything. However, he says, Mila and Kvura are two exceptions, since those are both mitzvahs that always entail some chance of danger. Mila, there are some children who die, not many, but there are some children who die, the post can tell us. Kvura, burying people on time, you're not going to be able to be 100% accurate. You will sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes you will wind up burying somebody alive, and yet the Torah said, bury him on the same day. Therefore, the Torah is telling us that we, the, the, the normal concerns we have for Bikuach Nefesh don't apply for, in, in the context of Mila and Kvura in particular. So the bottom line is, you know, we start with the fact that intuitively, I think we'd all say, if there's any chance of burying somebody alive, then, it, 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 then even if there's a mitzvah involved, it's not a price worth paying. Better to skip the mitzvah and not actually bury some, do the horrible thing of burying somebody alive. Talachi is not like that. The post can say... Every burial, every timely burial does involve a small but non-zero chance of burying somebody alive. We bury people anyway on time, either because, like the Chassam Sofer says, simply it's such a remote possibility, Halacha doesn't care about it, or the, with, the, with the Beis Yitzchak's edition, because the, the, fa- the very fact the Torah told you to do it, Al-Karcha, the Torah is telling you, the Torah was given to us, and we have limited ability. Chassam Sofer claimed that, that, that they had a Masorah, and they, were, they, they knew how to do it, and they, they were able to establish the death. But, to, but by breathing, but even though we know it's not foolproof, we, we know that there are people who we, who we pronounce dead based on the, the breath test and are actually alive and come back to life afterward. Nevertheless, because those are very remote and the Torah said it's important to bury people on time, we do it despite the fact that we might actually be burying somebody alive. Obviously, of course, it goes without saying, we have to do everything we can to make sure he's actually dead. Any test that we can do, any, any, any examination that we can do to be, to be as, as sure as we can, that he's actually dead, we do. But at the end of the day, we've done everything we reasonably can. If the only alternative is to postpone the kfura, the halacha is we do not do that, even if it means that we have to accept the small but non-zero chance that we're actually going to be burying somebody alive.